Our reading today comes from Galatians 3 and 5, 3 verses 1 through 6, and 5 verses 13 through 26. Galatians 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Galatians 5 verse 13 You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will be, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Awesome. Thank you, Kendra. Should we? Thanks. Let me get all this organized. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word and we look at these texts in Galatians, we want to just quiet our hearts, we want to quiet our minds. We want to consciously bring ourselves under submission to your word. Lord, we tried it our way. We've tried to live our lives our way and it doesn't work. And so we gladly submit ourselves to you. We say, teach us. Show us how to live. Show us how to walk in step with your spirit. Show us what that means. Father, would your word be the sword that it promises to be that pierces into our hearts, Lord. We honor you. We thank you for the absolute privilege it is to have written scripture inspired by God for us today to live our lives. Thank you that it's so relevant for us today. We praise and thank you, asking you for real change. Week on week, keep putting bricks in the wall of our lives. Keep building that wall in our lives, brick by brick by brick, Father. Each week, would we know more of you, understand more of you, have more longing in our hearts for you, understand who Jesus is, what he's done, understand the Holy Spirit. Oh, we need you, Lord. How we need you, Lord. Just for 30 seconds as we start, won't you just... In your heart, just lift up your heart to the Father and just say, I need you. How I need you. So let's remind ourselves this morning, 
We talked about this last week. If you missed that, you can go please and catch up on our website or you can even now get a uh, One Hope podcast and it can just come get pushed straight to your phone and all these cool things. It's never been easier is my point. It's easy to catch yourself up and this is kind of like a part two, but it'll also stand alone if you didn't, if you missed last week and this is your first week with us, that's all right. But what, what we're talking about is we're asking this question as a person who believes in Jesus, how do we live life in the spirit? What does that even mean? Does that mean just listening to Christian music everywhere we go? Does it mean praying in tongues for 15 minutes? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? If you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to welcome you as well. You might not believe what we believe, and I want to say that's okay. It's good to have you here. This immediate text, you might think, well, I have no interest in walking in the Spirit. I don't even know what the Spirit is. That's okay. There'll be something for you as well this morning. But that's, that's what we're speaking about. How do we live life in the Spirit? And I think if we're honest as Christ followers, we would, if we're honest enough, we'd admit that we often feel like we don't walk very effectively in the Spirit. It feels like our prayer lives are weak. Um, they feel routine. Sometimes it feels like our prayers, anyone ever said this, Lord, it just feels like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Like you're not actually hearing me. Um, we, we don't live as if we experience the Holy Spirit regularly, hour by hour in our lives. We, we kind of have moments we could point to and we say, yeah, Amanda led worship that time like this morning. Wasn't it just beautiful? Amanda and Vicky leading us. Well, I thought it was beautiful. Sorry, Amanda. No one else, anyone else didn't, but I thought it was beautiful. Uh, and we have those kind of moments, but, but how do we walk hour by hour with the Spirit actually empowering us like when you most need it right when you're about to have that fight with your wife when you're about to like slam dunk on your kids that's when we need the holy spirit's power in our lives we need him to be working in our lives i think maybe that every honest christian in the room would point to the weakness that we feel when we face our own sin god how how do I beat this thing? It just feels like since I could remember, this thing has plagued me and plagued me and plagued me. How do I walk in the Spirit in a way that actually begins to overcome some of this sin in my life? So today what we're going to do is as we look at these Galatians texts, we're going to look at what Scripture teaches about walking in the Spirit. The Galatians 5 text that Kendra read. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? How do we live with the Spirit hour by hour, moment by moment, day by day in our lives? But before we do that, I need, I need six volunteers. Come on, six, six brave volunteers. Get up and come up to me while I carry on here. Yes, John O, leading the pack. Come on. There we go. Okay, I've got one, two, three, four, five. We've got five guys, one lady. No, 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 that's not a lady. Yes, Anais over here. Come on up. Okay, have we got six? One, two, three, four, five, six. What I want to do quickly, and I, I'm doing this very specifically. This is some of what I was teaching on last week, but I just think it's so vital that we grasp this. I just find so much um, confusion around how do we actually come to know Jesus? What does it actually mean to be saved? And, and I put my hand up once, but does that mean I'm really saved? Okay, so we're going to do a very visual illustration, and it's really cool today because these things we're going to hold up and draw on everything else. Where's Beth Robinson? Over here, why don't you stand for us? She drew all of these. She's an illustrator, and she drew them especially for us. You, you shouldn't clap until you've seen them and seen if they're any good. But Okay, so what we're going to do is I need somebody who's going to be, I'll call you the proclaimer, or you're going to tell the word of God. So who's going to do that? Josh. Okay. Josh, over there. Would you stand? No, 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 stand up on that chair. Stand up on that chair. Okay. Now I need someone here that doesn't believe, an unbelieving person. Burn. <laughs> Get over there, Burn. Okay. Okay. So now... What we've got over here, and I remember I'm trying to explain to you how it is that we come to salvation. So right over here, we've got, a, we've got someone who proclaims the Word of God. Now, if you think, of, one of the things I love about God is just how varied it is. If I had to get you each up and say, those of you who follow Christ, and say, how did you come to know Jesus? We'd hear the most incredible stories of variety. So that proclamation, it could be a preacher. It could be someone who just one day in their heart goes to their bookshelf and thinks, you know what, I'm going to read this dusty old Bible. 
It could be a book. It could be a song. God spoke to me once, and I'm being genuinely serious, through Eminem. How? God even takes the evil and speaks to us from that, right? It could be nature. Any of you ever walked in nature and suddenly you just feel like this overwhelming sense of the glory of God and you remember something you learned back in kids' church? All these things. And uh, Francois, who you know, unbelievable Francois from Indonesia, who's, who, he's an amazing guy and he's a missionary from our midst. He's telling me stories of Muslims in Indonesia who are having visions. They have no church to go to. They don't know anything about Jesus, but they're having visions of a person. A person wearing a certain color shirt in a certain market. And so off they go the next day to this market. They find this missionary or they find this person. And they say, I had a dream about you. And in the dream, I was told to find you and you've got something to tell me. God's variety. The proclamation of the word of God. All right. Then over here, Bernie's got a ginormous ear. Okay. This is hearing. This is hearing the word. Now I want to, I want to read Galatians 3 again. To us, this is what he says. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. And last week we were speaking about this. Dave, you can grab there. Jesus, like billboarded, placarded, held up. So somewhere we get lost here because we think that Christianity is something other than just news. The actual gospel. The news of Jesus Christ is somebody standing up, a book, a whatever, you get the point, and saying, Jesus, can you see him? Isn't he glorious? Isn't he magnificent? This is what he's done. And because we're so culturally engaged with Jesus and Christians, we forget that it's the proclamation of the name of Jesus. And Paul says he was publicly portrayed. He was placarded, billboarded in front of you, right? You get my point. I'm preaching what I preached last week. I can't do that for too long. Okay. And then somewhere in your NIS, you're going to be the Holy Spirit. That's why I wanted one lady because it's much gentler than these blokes. There we go. Aren't these drawings cool as well? This is the Holy Spirit, often depicted in Scripture as a dove. Somewhere between Josh proclaiming, Jesus being lifted high, Bernie's big fat ear over there hearing it, somewhere the Holy Spirit has to come into this equation. And he begins drawing and working. I love the author who says he's the hound of heaven, chasing our scent. He's the one who's calling us, drawing us, all of these things. And then somewhere along the way, John, I get in here. Somewhere along the way, boom, faith ignites in our hearts. And then as faith ignites, Mark, belief. Okay, so there's this, this faith. God, I, I think I feel something. I think, I believe. Anyone had that moment? Anyone in the room? Anyone, anyone, anyone? Yes, 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 yes. Over there, see your hand. Yes, I've had it. I believe. And then I've got one more little thing here. Can you see what those are? Fire, thermometer, light. Right? That's heat. So it's heat, light, fire. And, and this is just a very helpful illustration for me when I try to remember what happens here. Because sometimes we get confused about, you know, does God call us or do we come to him? Is it him drawing? And those are important theological questions, but I can't go into them today. All I want to tell you is that when this happens and this person hearing something goes on, there's this lovely little illustration. When you light a match, what happens? What do you get? Fire. But what else do you get? Light. And what else do you get? Heat, but which one do you get first? Light. Oh, do you know? Because <laughs> if you have fire, you have heat and light. If you have heat, it's going to make a fire. So it's, it's, and I just think sometimes we get a little bit caught up in this. And all I'm trying to say here with this little board is it's okay. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. Somewhere in this process, Jesus proclaimed, Holy Spirit is at work. Faith, belief, is everything else. Boom. That happens in our hearts. And so that's the thing we're going after. Has Jesus put fire, light, heat into our hearts? All right. Now there's one more. You guys stay right there for a second. Now the same process in some way happens. There's a person who's sharing the name of Jesus. There's a person who's the unbelieving Bernard. And the Holy Spirit is working, but... This person believes that instead of faith, they have to earn their way. Law. 
They've got to follow laws. They've got to behave. If they went out on fences and something bad happened, man, tonight, today, you are struggling to know whether you're actually a Christian or not because you're under behavior. You're under law. And something else happens over here. That's a no-entry sign. also looks like a planet, which is cool. But it's my only point here is that some people, when they hear about the word of Jesus, don't come to this kind of faith. And man, we serve them so badly to pretend that they do. We serve them so badly to pretend that they do. And I'm terrified about this in the modern church because I think about, it's a negative example, but I think about inoculation where you give a tiny little bit of a disease so that the person can't catch the real thing. And I think that the way sometimes we bring the word of God, we're so desperate to get people just to put a hand up. We don't really care whether this is going on in their heart. And so we do like a cheap altar call and we do it with like, sometimes it's because we, uh, we've just guilt tripped them and we made them feel so guilty and, and there's this emotional rah, rah, rah. And so we, we, we engineer this manipulative moment where they put their hand up or as has been done. I mean, God even uses that because he's so incredible or, or fire and brimstone and fear. Don't you know if you walk out today and a bus hits you, you're going to hell and we're terrified. So of course I'm going to put my hand up. I want to go to heaven. And this doesn't happen in our hearts. And what goes on is that there's like an inoculation shot. And that person actually, they think, I'm okay. Because they're holding their little ticket which says, going to heaven, hallelujah. But actually their life is not changing in any way. There's no fruit or evidence of, of belief having happened in their heart. And we're saying, man, we can't do that. Please, God, help us. Okay, have you got that? All right, can we give these guys a hand? Okay, do me a favor. Would you guys just put them down in that order over here? Because I'm going to get to this again just now. Here's some more chairs. Or you can just stand here the whole... Maybe a little bit there so I can still stand. Do faith and belief, yeah. Thanks. All right. So let's read that again. Galatians calls this hearing, this hearing that I'm talking about over here, this faith and belief. Galatians 3 keeps on saying, having, did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's the phrase it uses, hearing with faith. This is hearing with faith, not simply hearing with fear, hearing with faith. You with me? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Etc. Etc. You know. Let's leave that aside for now, so we don't go too long this morning. There's a, there's a third scenario. I'm going to need a few more chairs for this. Thankfully, no one sits in the front because it's so scary to sit there. <laughs> There's a third scenario, exactly the same as this, true faith. Someone really does come to know Jesus. Their hearts are changed. There's an explosion that goes on inside of them. But then as we looked at last week, they begin to continue. They try to continue. That's a person. Can you see they, they realize it's a bit low for all of you. Next item. They have this genuine experience of God, but then they try to then work out their lives with law, with flesh. They're pulling on this, on this rowboat. And Paul says to them, he says, you're foolish, you're bewitched. If you go and read Galatians in chapter 4, he gets even more hardcore because the issue that, they, that they're actually facing is an issue of circumcision, right? He's saying they, they, these guys have come in and they're trying to convince you that now you were saved through the Holy Spirit, you were saved through this incredible work of God working in your heart. Now they come and say, and you've got to add. And you've got, and you've got to, and you've got to. And this is what Paul says, and I won't quote him verbatim, but he, but he says, I wish that they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Isn't that scary? That's not very gracious, Apostle Paul. That's what he says. Go and read it in Galatians 4. But what he's saying is this is incredibly important. This is so serious. I need you to get how serious this thing is. And so then there's that way, and then there's God's intended way. Can you see that, sailboat? Bates spoke about this about three weeks ago. I thought it was the most beautiful metaphor. I think it's actually Andrew Wilson who initially preached that. But the sailboat is how we cultivate 
habits in our lives to learn how to sail. And the Holy Spirit is like the wind. And we're learning how to gear our lives. So this might be our devotional space. It's not crossing over into doing. It's not being like, in my flesh, I'm going to achieve. It's saying, Holy Spirit, I know the power comes from you. I know the wind is you. I know it's your power. But I want to do everything I can to adjust my sail in a way that I can catch the wind of the Spirit in my life. Right? Does that all make sense? Galatians calls that walking with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit. That's the sailboat image over there. All right, let's, let's look at chapter 5 together. We're going to look at verse 13. Are you there in your Bibles? We're not spoiled today with our normal projection behind us. Now he says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Quick question. Who's he talking to? Gentiles, yes, but believers or unbelievers? Okay, just keep that in mind. He's talking to believers. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. The flesh, Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right now I'm feeling quite condemned. So if I walk by the Spirit, I'm not, I'm not going to gratify the desires of my flesh, but I do desire, I do gratify the desires of my flesh. Does that mean I'm not walking by the Spirit? Well, yes it does, but it's, it's like, ah! But then he carries on and he gives me some relief. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now this, this emotion for me, Pete used to call this a bear with a sore head. He says when we come to Jesus... And we, we really have this true moment, but then we still have to face the ongoing sin in our own lives. But the problem is we can't face sin in the way we used to. It doesn't make us happy anymore. So it's like we're ruined for a sinful life. And, and sometimes you're almost like, well, I was better off before I, before I came to Jesus. It was more fun. I could go out and party with my friends and do whatever I wanted. And I didn't feel this guilt. Now I feel this, this pulling. Do you, see, do, do you feel the tension in the text? Paul saying, there's you, me, and this side over here is pulling me to the flesh. And then there's this other side over here that's pulling me to the spirit. And I feel like I'm the guy stuck in between. And I, I, I used that text last week. A wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? It's like sometimes we feel like that, like God. I, I'm just, and there's two kinds of promptings or pulling in our life, on the one side, there's the leading of the Spirit, and the Spirit gently speaks over us, live for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and something within us, in our regenerate self, says, yes, I want to do that. I want to walk with you. But the flesh says, given to sin, Paul, given to sin, you know you want to. And the flesh says, no one's going to know. The flesh says to me, this isn't going to hurt anybody. Do you know that people have used that reason, and I'm sure I've used it in my own mind as well, to justify pornography? This is not hurting anybody. And when I stop and I consider that, and I think of women being trafficked, I think of everything that's going on in that industry, this is not hurting anybody? But that's how deceitful our hearts are, right? I'm just sitting at home with my computer screen, and I'm just looking, I'm not hurting anybody. This doesn't affect anybody. Deceitful hearts. But we all feel this pull going on in our hearts. This, yes, I want, I want to follow you, but yes, I also want to go with you. There's always a fight going on, and I've got encouraging and discouraging news for you. It goes on until the day you die. That's encouraging because it means that even with all our masks, we're all facing the same thing. And you can look across at your friend who you think is having the perfect life. They, they, they're bringing up their kids in a perfect way. They, 
whatever it may be, and actually you can know with certainty they're going through just the same things that you're going through. But it's discouraging because it means we're going to keep on fighting this until the day we die. And I remember this came home to me. I was in a, in a small group. Um, Pete, had, had, Pete was good friends with Artie Kendall, if you know the author. And we were in a room with him. And someone in the room said, Artie, would you tell us, and he's about, I think he was 75, 78 or so, somewhere around there at that stage. Would you tell us what you are most afraid of? And Artie said, I'm most afraid of falling into sexual sin. And I remember the room just went silent. And Pete, Pete in his way, said, Artie, give us hope. And Artie said, guys, the hope I can give you is that you will fight this until the end of your days. It never goes away, but God, but the grace of the Spirit at work in our lives. I remember that just coming to me like, I'm going to fight this until the end of my life. So then a great question to ask is, well, if there's these two things pulling in my life, which one wins? Who wins? And the answer I would, I would give you, the one that you yield to. The one that you're going to yield your life to over and over and over again is the one that's going to take more and more dominion of your life. And you will be saved. This text is not a, not a text about losing your salvation. I wish I could speak on that, what it means to, to not enter the kingdom of heaven in this context. You're not going to lose your salvation, but you're going to come through as one smelling of fire, as that verse says, as if you've escaped from the flames. None of the rewards that God has purposed and planned for us in this life, you're going to live like a bear with a sore head. It's not going to be happy. You're not going to experience the peace of God. There's huge, catastrophic effects of the Christian's life of giving in again and again and again to these sin things in our lives. So, the Holy Spirit enables us, the one that you yield to, right? We're talking about that, these two things that are pulling us. The Holy Spirit enables us to resist temptation. He gives us the grace, but we also have to do the resisting. Are you with me? We can't just say, I'm praying about it. We can't just say, God is removing it from me by faith while I watch TV. Just a, some kind of osmosis process happening outside of any of my own effort. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is one of my favorite verses. It says this, it says, and this is just going to confuse you more, right? Because this thing is like, it's one of these things that are very much like held in tension. Like, is it this or is it this? Yes. It's one of those ones. No temptation, but this is beautiful for me. No temptation has overtaken you. Say me. Okay, so think about all the temptations you face in your life. Now listen to this. No temptation, that one you're thinking about, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Lord, I'm the only one. No, you're not. Millions are facing what you're facing. All right, that's the first thing. And God is faithful. Who's faithful? Who's doing that? Who's doing it? God's doing it. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Who's doing that? Oh, I'm not so sure now because I'm being tempted, but God's not letting me be tempted beyond what I can bear. What another incredible promise right there. There's no temptation that you'll ever face that God does not think you can defeat with his power. Ever. No temptation that you will face. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, this is the part I want you to listen to, He will provide a way out that you may stand up under it. Who does it? See, I, I want to introduce a phrase to you this morning. It's a phrase I've been thinking about. It's a phrase, dependent doing. I think, I think we're drifting into an area where we feel like anytime anyone says the word do, anytime there's any kind of demand placed on our lives, we say, don't place law on me. No, no, there's, there's tons and tons and tons of scripture which speaks to us about how we are meant to work out our salvation, how we work out our lives. Ephesians, he has prepared good things for us in advance for us to do. Good gifts. So what's the word there? So I've got alarms today so I can try and preach a bit quicker. On my watch, that's why I keep tapping my watch, setting off 10 minutes. So God's part is... That's one way to know you're out of time. 
God's part is, I'm giving you a way out. I'm giving you grace. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. My part is, I'm accepting that grace. I'm standing up under it. God, I'm putting on the armor of salvation. All these verses, are you with me? Dependent doing. So who does it? God does it, you do it. Yes, exactly. Michael Eaton, who's a theologian, says this. He says, we do put a lot of effort into Christian godliness. Paul's point is that we don't do it by the Mosaic law, whatever the law thing was. The flesh does not refer to human effort. It refers to Mosaic legislation or anything like it. So we don't just learn how to behave. We don't just learn to follow morals. We do put a lot of effort into Christian godliness, but we do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. Dependent doing. You with me? Okay, now let's read on. Depending on what we choose. So are you following me so far? The flesh pulling me this way, the spirit pulling me the other way, me standing in the middle. Oh, wretched man that I am, I want to do both, but if I do this, I, I don't know. That exact feeling that we all know. Depending on what we choose, we carry on in verse 19. Do you remember, just a quick one, who's he writing to? Believers. Okay, very important to remember in this text. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. And all of us go, oh, those bad oaks over there. Those unbelieving people over there. Hang on, you're about to get, you're about to get nailed yourself. Hatred. Anyone ever felt hatred? Discord or creating disunity? Jealousy? Anyone in the room struggled with jealousy? Fits of rage? In other words, anger, selfish ambition. Whoo! Sure, I must prefer this when it was idolatry and witchcraft and stuff. I could just go, no, no, haven't done that, haven't done that. Factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before. Who's he warning? Christians. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not have the power and the presence of God in their lives while they walk here on earth and they will forfeit eternal reward. Not salvation. I wish I could teach more on that. Maybe we come back to that. So that's if the flesh is pulling you and you're giving into the flesh. Now the other side, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against, against such things, there is no law. Why would there be? Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, thinking back, Galatians 3, how did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive it by following the law? How did you come to Him? By following the law or by hearing with faith? Do you remember that? Now link it to this, since we live by the Spirit, in other words, since you became a Christian by the Holy Spirit, since you heard and came to Christ through the Holy Spirit, since we had that experience, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, just like you were justified, just like you were declared righteous before God, He wants you to carry on living like that. We don't get saved through the Holy Spirit and then say, Thank you so much. I've got a great idea. Now I'm going to feel so much more affirmed if I can bring something to this relationship and I now begin to work out my own laws and behavior and everything else apart from the Spirit. Dependent doing. And what happens when we do that? So we've got our, we've got our rowboat over there. And this is my correlating picture with our robot. That was easier than drawing sexual immorality. <laughs> Sorry, I have a mind that works in these hard ways. Uh, idolatry, envy, jealousy, the flesh, right? Or we're learning how to walk in the Spirit, in the boat, love, joy, 
peace, patience. I remember teaching this to my kids years ago. And one of them was standing up like a tree in the bedroom. And the other ones were busy coming and picking off fruit. And going, mmm, delicious, delicious. <laughs> and then one of them would pick one and go, oh, that one's sour. This one's got worms in it. And just trying to get this concept across. But it's, it's so powerful when we understand that when we, when we want to subscribe our lives to law and to flesh and we, and we give into that thing and we, and we depend on ourselves, there is, it's, put it this way, isn't it so easy to live like that? It's so, I want, to, I want to engage in sexual morality. It's so easy. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to plan it for next year. It just happens, right? But think about how hard it is to plant a seed and grow a tree and how long it takes before that tree produces fruit. Fruit is hard, man. Fruit means I'm trying to be patient today and I lose my cool and I try again and I lose my cool and I try again and I try again. And maybe in 10 years' time, someone comes along and says, man, you know what I noticed about you? I'm so grateful for how patient you are. It's not something you just decide to do. And you do, right? So now I want to close off. I want to finish off just by looking practically at how this applies into our lives. I'm going to, I'm going to use two headings. Kill sin, create fruit. Kill sin, create fruit. Can you stand up? Are you okay? I know it's warm in here. So the main point last week was that we received the Holy Spirit in the beginning and we go on living in the power of the Holy Spirit in the same way. And I was asking you these teacherish questions. Did you receive Him? I can't hear you. Did you receive Him? Yes. Yes. Did you receive Him through works of the law? Did you receive Him through hearing with faith? Are you going to keep on living your, your life by hearing with faith or by law? Hearing with faith. That's what I needed you to get. All right. Whew. Thank you, Lord. In other words, this hearing with faith is not just a salvation experience. It's a lived out experience. So let's talk about anger. Let's talk about bitterness. And we're going to speak practically about how the Word of God comes to address these things in our lives. Galatians calls this walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Listen, listen to this. So the, the Bible gives us two options for how to deal with the sin in our lives. The one way is that the Holy Spirit comes and kills it, and the other way is that we produce fruit. That's why it's kill, kill sin, produce fruit, or create fruit. Listen to Romans chapter 8. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Did you see it? Kill sin. Put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. So the Spirit somehow works like a pesticide on our sin and sin gets dead. That's the simple (laughs) idea. Right? So I'm telling you guys right now, you walk out of here today, you will be tempted. Today. I can guarantee it. Some lustful thought is going to come into your mind. Some impatient thought is going to come into your mind. Some angry thought, some anxious thought, whatever it is. At that moment, I'm telling you, this is your take home from today. Kill it. Yes, but but how? Well, by the Spirit. That's what Romans says. Kill it by the Spirit. But yes, Paul, but but how? Is he something I use? Like a baseball bat? Like, how do, I, how do I kill sin by using the Spirit? So we're going to look at anger, bitterness, resentment. All of those I'm kind of wrapping up into one sin, if I could. And I want to ask this very practical question. How do you kill anger using the Spirit? Because you don't choose to get angry, right? It's not like a conscious choice. It's not like I, I could say now, right, I'm going, to, I'm going to scratch my head. Or I'm going to walk out from the pulpit and I'm going to sit down. Those things I can just decide I'm going to do and I'm going to do. But we've all tried that with sin. Right, I'm never going to do that sin again until tomorrow. Right? That's the problem. Anger doesn't work like that. Sin doesn't work like that. So here's some some things for you to think about. The way that we walk in the Spirit and beat sin by killing it is that we battle sin with God's promises. And I'm going to show you how to do that. While you're busy struggling before God and saying, Lord, there's this issue of anger in my heart. To your mind, the Holy Spirit brings to your mind a promise of God. 
a verse of scripture. All right, so I'll read you one. Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Paul, you've been saying that. Just kill it. But it goes further. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Do you see what's going on here? See, by the Holy Spirit, you realize, as you read that text, you realize, oh my goodness, God forgave me a huge debt. A huge debt. Now, I'm going out, and like that other story in the Gospels, I'm trying to like throttle or strangle my wife or my kid or my business partner or whoever it is that I feel has wronged me. I'm getting angry and trying to throttle them, completely unaware that the debt that they owe me is tiny. A hundred shekels compared to the millions and millions that God has forgiven me. And so ultimately, we sin because I don't actually truly believe the Ephesians verse. I don't truly believe that I should forgive you because I've been forgiven. So I take my forgiveness as, oh, so glad I'm forgiven. But you wrong me. Oh my, you better watch out. You, but Ephesians teaches us the opposite of that. Ephesians says, be kind and compassionate to one another. And we should be crying out, how? I don't know how. I want to, but I don't know how. Forgiving each other just as Christ Jesus forgave you. And so we don't embrace this. We don't ponder this. We don't accept this. Sometimes it's hard to accept the free forgiveness of God. We don't delight in God's magnificence and His forgiveness to me. When, when I do that, I'm acting like I deserve to be treated better. And that's the root of my anger. That's the root. And if we don't deal with the root, that thing's going to keep on flourishing and flourishing and flourishing. And in that moment, what happens is that you're preaching this to yourself. If the Holy Spirit's at work, you believe it now. Now you suddenly realize as you're sitting and you're meditating on that verse, it's a very practical thing. You can't watch TV and just by faith, God's going to change this in you. And suddenly you're not angry anymore. It takes meditating upon the Word of God, upon His Scripture, and you realize, oh my goodness, show me again what it is that you've forgiven me for. Show me the debt that you've erased for me. And then from that place, my wife says something to me. Something happens with my kids. Something happens in the workplace. And I feel this anger rising up, but immediately in the back of my head, the Holy Spirit is going, Paul, remember you were forgiven more than this. And instead of throttling them, like that ungrateful servant in the parable, I say, oh my goodness, the king, the king has just forgiven me millions and millions and millions. Should I hold this guy to account for 10 rand? What kind of ungrateful servant would I be? And that revelation begins to sink deeply into our hearts. And we pray a prayer like this as God begins to allow us to meditate on His promises. We pray and we say, Holy Spirit, I want you to supply me an anger-killing power to my life at this moment as I walk out of here today. I know I'm going to be tempted. When I go home, I know I'm going to be seething with this anger that I feel towards those people in my church, my wife, whoever ripped me off and stole my money, kill sin by the power of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Here's another angle on the same thing. Let's keep talking about anger. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now that's just as much a promise, but you never see that on a fridge magnet. You walk into someone's house, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. We don't see that on a fridge magnet, but it's, it's a promise of God. And actually it's an incredibly freeing promise while we live on this earth that when someone has wronged us, we can just lay it down. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> That, that's a very biblical song. <laughs> told you God speaks to me through evil music. It's like... <laughs> but you, you don't need to have the last word in the argument. You don't need to win. You don't need to see justice done now. It will be done. 
It will be done. If they need to be judged, God will judge them. In many relationships, there's just this seething with the sense of injustice. We, we, we're not believing that God is the one who will settle accounts. We're not going to this promise and saying, God, I have been wronged, but God, with all my heart, would you help me to cling to this promise that even if I never see it here on earth, that you will judge. And I can trust you that you are good and you are right. And I can think of examples in this congregation where people have had to do this through incredible trial and say, God, you alone will be the judge. And I mean, when we, when we read that verse, who do you think about, right? Jesus. On that cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus in that moment knew every Pharisee who ought to be judged. He'd been arguing with them for years. He knew every soldier whose heart was delighting in whipping him to kill him. But what does he do? He says, Father, you deal with it. That kills sin. That's a sin pesticide that you can't find in the shops. C.J. Mahaney was a theologian and preacher said, the key to forgiving people is to marvel at being forgiven. That's what I'm talking about. That we go before the scriptures and we say, Lord, there's unforgiveness, there's anger, there's resentment, there's anxiety. What am I missing? Show me what I'm missing. And we meditate on it. I'm going to end there. The other section of that was bearing fruit. You can, you can think about that. Galatians 5.22. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. In fact, just one quick thought there. Love is the sum. If you go and read earlier on in, in that Galatians chapter 5, I think it's verse 18. We actually read it. It's, it's a repeat of what Jesus said in the Gospels. And in fact, it's a repeat of what was in the law all the way back in Leviticus. That this sums up the law and the prophets. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is all else hangs on that. If, if you have love, that's why it's right up front there. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. They all come from that one place. And you can think a little bit more about that. And man, can you, can you, believers in the room, can you see how practical this is? Can you see how much we need to read the Word of God? Because if you don't read the Word of God, how can He bring back the promises to you? How can He bring them back to our minds? If we, if this is not like read the Bible because you know, it keeps the doctor away. Kind of like eat an apple a day. Like you just got to go, read the Bible, pray every day, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Do you remember that? Do you see why we need to meditate? Do you see why we need to pray? Which we're going to do right now. Stand with me, let's pray together. Father, we bring ourselves before you, so aware of our sinfulness and so aware of your greatness. What a God. What a God who doesn't just say, kill it. Figure it out yourself. But who says, look to me, I did it. Look to me when I was in my worst moment, my hardest trial. Oh God, my God, Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face from me? And yet still his trust was in you. Sinless. Perfect. The lamb that we read about earlier during our worship. Quiet before the slaughterers. Oh God, that we would see you for more of who you are and it would change the very way that we live our lives. We want to walk with your spirit, Lord. We want to walk with you day after day. Holy Spirit, as Bates preached those few weeks ago, would you fill us and lead us? Would we wake up every day with that prayer in our hearts? Every hour I need you. Oh, I need you. I need you. Every hour I need you. As that beautiful song says. Lord, how quickly we forget. How overwhelming our sin feels. Would you come and encourage us this morning? Would you come and encourage us that you, the great gardener, have given us a pesticide against the strongest sins in our lives? 
Come and encourage us, God, where we felt like we've battled for years against the same thing. Come and heal us where resentment and bitterness is taking root in our hearts against someone who's wronged us, really, really wronged us, God. Lord, we don't need to pretend that that didn't happen. We don't need to pretend that that moment wasn't awful. But we can bring that moment to the cross and say, God, we don't want resentment. We don't want bitterness in our hearts. We look at you and we see what you did. Help us do the same. Please, Jesus. Please, Jesus, work in our hearts. And then I want to speak to you this morning. You might not even follow this God. You might say, Paul, I've never experienced a moment of fire, light, heat in my life. I've never experienced that hearing with faith. And maybe this morning in your hearts, the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is busy drawing you and you feel in your heart a new faith. It's already happening. It doesn't happen when I pray some prayer. or The Spirit is busy doing that in your heart. And you say, I didn't used to believe or I wasn't sure if I believed, but now I do. I feel like this belief is growing. I want to, it feels like it wants to come out of me. If that's you, I'm going to pray this prayer and I want you to pray it with me. Lord Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, you are working in my heart already. You're telling me that what Jesus did on that cross was for me, for my sins. God, I feel the stirrings of belief. Help my unbelief. I want to come to you. I want to bring my life. I want to repent and say, I'm so sorry. And I want to ask you to forgive me my sins and to lead me from this day forward in how to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. I thank you that He's in me now. Right now. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, won't you come and find me afterwards? Not for any other reason than I'd love to think through how we can disciple you, how we help you on that journey. It's not an easy journey. If you're not comfortable seeing me, that's okay. Won't you find someone that you trust and have a conversation with them? Guys, thank you for being with us this morning.